I think a successful partnership is always a win-win. For us, when you go out, you always try to work with partners that you want to work with. So you've already narrowed your scope. And then、mm-hmm. the next step is trying to broker something that works for both sides. Everybody has something that they want to get out of it. It could be the price, or it could be revenue, volume commitments, commercial terms. It could be something else that you can give. And I think the beauty of partnerships that's different from sales. Is that it is not one-dimensional. You have many tools to play with. So I always find it very interesting, you know, that you can be creative. You can try to think out of the box to make something work. Welcome to the Making the Career Leap podcast. I'm Lynn Loy, a talent advisor and recruiter based in Singapore. If you're thinking that it might just be time for you to change your current role or career, then this is absolutely the right podcast for you. In each episode, you can expect to hear the fascinating stories and perspectives of talented individuals I've met through my work and network. It gives me great pleasure to have these in-depth conversations that dive into the why, what, and how behind the big moves that these professionals have made across different domains and industries, as well as how they might have also enabled others to make similar career leaps. If you're new to the podcast or want to tell your friends about it, just visit makingthecareerleap.com to access all podcast episodes and transcripts. Or search for "Making the Career Leap" on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you prefer the video format, you can also watch the podcast on YouTube at youtube.com/forward/slash/at-career-podcast. Welcome, Holly, to the show, "Making the Career Leap." Really happy to have you on. Well, before we get started, I just wanted to share a little bit about、uh, yourself. You know, by sharing a brief、uh, bio of how we can introduce、uh, you to the listeners. So I understand that you know you are the VP of Financial Partnerships. Of APEC for Airwallex, and in this role, you oversee a lean and high-performing team that manages、uh, Airwallex's extensive network of partnerships with financial institutions in the Asia-Pacific region, and this includes banks, schemes, as well as other payments providers. And prior to Airwallex, you know you were the head of strategic partnerships in APEC for Data.ai, and which was called、uh, AppAnnie back then. And you also led the investment promotion and industry development at the Singapore Economic Development Board. That was a mouthful, I know, but you know, I'm really looking forward to hearing more from you, Holly. So welcome once again. Yeah. Thank you, Lynn. Thanks for having me. Very nice、yes. to be on your podcast. Thank you. So, in terms of like you know, to get that started with the first question、um, that I pose to all guests, you know, I'm just curious,、uh, Holly, what is maybe one career myth that you found to be untrue, right, in your time、uh, since you started working? So I, this is not really a myth, but I think a pet peeve for me that's kind of developed over the years was,、um, I've received a lot of this question myself at interviews, and I kind of picked that up and started asking that when I interview candidates. But I now、mm. found it the most useless question, which is, where do you see yourself in your career in the next five years or ten years or twenty years or however many long? I I I personally find it to be very useless because、uh, people change.、Um, you know, we cannot foresee how we change on the personal front. And on the professional front, you know, technology, business models, things evolve so fast that it's really very difficult to see yourself where you're going to be in the next five, ten years. And as interviewers or as hiring managers, what we're looking for is a fit for for the here and the now, and、mm. ask candidates to prepare something、um, that they probably have no idea of.、Uh, I think that's quite unfair, and it actually doesn't really. <laughs> How successful the candidate will be on their job for like today? Yeah, that's an interesting perspective, right? So, I mean, definitely what you said, you know, is I would say for the hiring managers I've met with, maybe the the more traditional hiring managers they still like to ask this question, but I think perhaps the 
hiring managers of today's generation are kind of a bit more pragmatic, right? In the sense that, you know, who knows, right? Like, I think the world probably also changed before and after ChatGPT came on board, yeah. uh, you know, which was just the last few months. Like, your role might not be relevant, in, you know, very soon. Exactly. And I think maybe that question just kind of passed down the generations, right? Where back in the day, we work in corporate. So for me, working in the government, yes. you really do see yourself being that job for five, 10 years. But mm. in where I am today in the startup or the tech scene, um, people are very mobile. They change mm. jobs, they move up, they move to other places, go remote, have a side hustle. Anything could be possible. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And you know that now you mentioned a little bit about you being in a startup. You know, I know that's not where you started right off uh, in your professional journey. So would you just maybe just share us a little bit about what was that like, right? In from your time at the Singapore Economic Development Board, um, you know, to this uh, current startup that you are at. Yeah. yeah so I, um, so right after college, uh, I came back to Singapore, joined the Singapore Economic Development Board. And as you know, it's a government agency. Mm. Um, they're responsible for bringing in foreign direct investments into Singapore. It was a, um, a very exciting job. Um, I was given a lot of responsibility fresh out of college to manage Fortune 500 companies and dealing with very senior executives. The mm. conversation revolved around, you know, expanding their business here in Singapore, creating more high-value jobs for Singaporeans, um, foreign direct investments, how do we prepare our ecosystem, our talent pool to support these foreign companies to grow and succeed in Singapore. It was all very exciting, uh, very big, grand uh, idea <laughs> to talk about. Uh, having been in the government for about four or five years, I, I felt like um, I really wanted to kind of get my hands dirty, uh, just be in the private sector myself after you know, mm. telling them what to do. Now I want to be there actually doing it. Um, so then I joined a startup. Uh, so, so App Annie, as it was known at that time, it was a, a leader in mobile data uh, analytics and intelligence. Um, so it was a Silicon Valley-based company. When I joined, it was Series E, already with a very successful business, but they wanted to build out um, their APEC business. So my job at the time was to look for data partners to help to make the data models that App Annie built more accurate and to also develop more data products. Mm. Um, so that was very, very different from my job at EDB. So in the EDB, it was business models that were proven to be successful, right? These were huge MNCs. And then on uh, once I joined the startup side, I realized that every day you are faced with challenges about um, competition, basic survival, making sure that you don't lose a deal, mm. uh, making sure that you continue to maintain your leadership position. If not, all the other comp competition is, is eyeing it uh, very hungrily, this spot. <laughs> it's um, very cutthroat. Eh? Yes, very, very cutthroat. So I really liked that. Uh, I felt very personally challenged. And I also felt that the, mm -hmm. the sense of reward and the ownership that you get out of working in a startup is very, very different from that of the public sector. So I went down that path of no return. And then <laughs> Airwallex, where I am today. Yeah, I think that that's really nice, right? In terms of, I know you're not trying to be overly dramatic, but you know, it's, it's, it's really true in the sense of, you know, when you commit to doing something, right, you kind of like figure out and go all in i'm just curious you know what was that motivation that that drive because i would say the economic development board or what we know as edb for short it's comfortable in the sense that you know like you said it's very it's it's very high status right you're all you know if like large organizations you're dealing with all the sea levels you could easily continue doing it and probably not the, the, the remuneration is not like not bad right so in terms of if everything's being more or less equal, how do you decide that all this 
uncertainty and getting your hands dirty, you got the inkling that that was actually something that you have to try, right? What, what was that for you? Um, so I felt the the glamour of the job at EBB, it faded mm. quite fast for me because I realised that I was very... I was very easily replaceable because I had the brand of EDB and the whole brand of Singapore behind me. So when it's kind of like in Singapore, when you have a very strong, powerful product, people come to you, your customers come to you. Um, mm. But was I the one actually that personally brought them into Singapore? Not really, right? Like Apple, Google, Facebook, all these guys are invested. It's because Singapore is a great place for business, our tax environment, our government structure, yeah, government. Our, the quality of our talent. So that sense of me personally making a difference wasn't that strong. But Interesting. now at Airwallex, I really feel that um, I have to personally go out and get things done. And mm. I want to make sure that you know, people want to speak to me, Holly Fang, uh, what I have built up for myself, my personal name and brand, um, and how yeah. I go about getting things done could be very different from how somebody else gets it done. I am personally making that difference. I think that's really quite profound if you think about that because it's it's like a leap of faith, you know, in in sense of um to say I guess I, I don't know whether you now that you've actually had some years of experience under your belt, whether you felt that was a combination of um, you know, just self-belief, like strong self-belief, that's all the way that you've always been. Um, or there was also coupled with that youthful idealism that you had that, okay, you know, I'm going to just uh, make that mark to say like, you know, people are going to, um, the value that I'm creating is something that is unique to me and people will come to me for, for that. And that's something that I can offer. I'm just curious, like for you, how do you feel the balance was uh, in terms of, you know, being something innate or maybe it's just something at that stage of your life. It's just easier to be more idealistic at that time. I think it was probably um, the experiences that shaped that view. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, because I think, so when I was at, at EDB, I was there for four and a half years. The mm-hmm. progression was very much set for me. I could see myself, if I did well, you know, like maybe I get a promotion every three years. If I don't mm-hmm. do so well, maybe I get promoted every four or five years. And then if I want mm-hmm. a rotation, you know, I need to finish my stint here for three years first before I move to another department. Um, yep. I, I can kind of already see what the, my next 10, 20 years look like. And maybe that was, you know, why some of the interviewers will be asking questions like, okay, where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> um, but when I moved over to the startup world, it was really me personally driving, I feel, change and, mm. and fighting for how I see myself grow and what the next steps would be for me. And having kind of pushed for those changes, seeing how it played out over the last, now I've been in the private sector for, I think, about seven, eight years now, hence seeing yeah. how that played out, I think that kind of reinforced my belief that once you're given that opportunity, you can really chart mm. the future yourself. That's great. And, you know, I'm just curious if you could share a bit more about being given that opportunity. How did you find the opportunity and who gave it to you? Or in a way, how much did you lobby for the opportunity to be given as well? How did that work? I think it's a lot of luck. Uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I was very lucky that both times, whether it was transitioning from the public sector to the private sector or from data into financial services, I had managers mm-hmm. who took of faith in me. I was just very blindly optimistic. You know, I was really, really telling... I them relate that, to that. <laughs> <laughs> that, yes, I've never done this before, but, you know, trust me and I can prove myself to you. But oftentimes, I think young people don't really get that opportunity. But I was very lucky that both times mm. my hiring managers were like, okay, you know, let's see how it will work out. And I think I also took that to be, if people are willing to take that leap of faith in me, it is not just on me, it's also on them 
And I wouldn't want to disappoint someone who's really, um, I guess, trusted me blindly to, you know, to make things work. I appreciate you sharing that. But I also think you're a little bit, you're a little bit humble in the sense that when you say that you're very lucky, but I'm sure that you did a lot of things to make yourself be in that position of being lucky, right? So what I meant is, were there things that you had done to uh, network, to find the people who could or open those doors? Or was there things that you analyzed internally to say, hey, you know, my experience is in partnerships. So it makes sense that if you want to join a new role focused on these type of partnerships, uh, type of roles so that you can leverage your past experience, you know, I guess things that were within your control that you could do to create that luck, you know, what was that like and that you felt was maybe the two or three things that really you focused on and that helped uh, you in this journey? Even though I've changed my industry, um, my role quite a number of times in my career, the underlying mm-hmm. thing that was consistent was that my job required me to build relationships and required me to build relationships upwards. And I meant, you know, whether it's with MNCs, um, senior executives in the MNC or mm-hmm. data partnerships, it was building relationships with telcos with the OEMs that make the phones, big app publishers that had a lot of user data. And now yeah. at AirWallex, it was building relationships with the banks, the schemes, the payment methods. Um, mm-hmm. It was always about ma- managing relationships with very complex organizations. So I think my training, I guess, and my initial years in my career at the EDB trained me um, in a couple of things that I think are quite applicable wherever I went, which was things like communications, um, you mm-hmm. know, professional in the way that we, we write, we communicate, um, internal stakeholder management, managing of senior relationships. These are the consistent themes that stayed with me throughout every career jump. And I feel like, you know, as you're describing this, I'm just thinking of, you know, also the kind of roles that I have to hire where people were good in doing partnerships. If the ability and the kind of work that you have done in strategic partnerships, especially being involved with the decision makers. I think maybe people who have not been into this field may not see the level of uh, stress or the level of challenge that comes into this role. So I'm just curious whether if you could think back on maybe one particular, really a turnaround opportunity or a key challenge that you had. Is there a story that you could share about what really tested your abilities or really helped you to build out those um, partnership muscles that you have actually developed over the years? Was there some story that you could share around that was a bit more memorable for you? Um, I, so I don't think there's any one particular uh, story. And yeah. uh, I'm just trying to think back. I think very recently mm. there examples that I probably can't share. Um, yeah, no names are needed. <laughs> but I think uh, the thing is to just always be open-minded. Um, and especially in having been doing partnerships for over a decade now, it's very easy to fall into a trap of thinking, I know what I'm doing. Uh, and mm-hmm. this is, when you talk to a bigger organization, they come back and say, this cannot be done. Or, you know, this can only be done in six months, 12 months, or however long they're used to getting yes. it done. Um, in the startup world, we never take no for an answer. And even though I feel like, okay, I have pushed something to the best of my abilities, and this is really the best deal that we can possibly get. My bosses are always pushing me harder. <laughs> because of that, I always have to go back and nothing is good enough, right? And you will be surprised just how much you, how much more you can get just by trying mm. one more time yeah. or just by being a bit more persistent than you were before. I think if somebody is listening to this podcast and they're thinking of, okay, I'm going to do partnerships, right? Do you think like a good litmus indicator is if they hear you share this takeaway, 
like they are excited about pushing that next step. And that will be a good sign that they're good for partnerships because I think there are quite a lot of people who they will be frustrated that I have to push again to get a better outcome. You know, I think like those people are not suitable for partnerships roles. Um, would that be fair? I, yeah, so I think persistence definitely, uh, mm -hmm. pers that patience and persistence. And the other is just um, knowing that no is never good enough, mm -hmm. right? If a partner is going to come back and say, no, I can't do this, then thinking of a way, okay, how do I turn this no into a yes? Even if this mm -hmm. yes isn't 100% that I started out with, getting 50%, 40%, anything is better than zero. Um, mm -hmm. I think that uh, rigor or like, you know, that yes. determination is actually what is really needed for a good partnerships um, manager. I think that's really interesting to kind of take in that perspective to say it's not so simplistic as like, okay, we've got a partnerships and, you know, that's good, right? Actually, that good can always be improved. Uh, I think that is something, you know, having gone through the Singapore school system, you know, perhaps that is something a bit counterintuitive because, hey, there was only 100 marks on the paper, right? Like, what do you mean by you can go beyond 100? Yeah, you can always yeah. get a bonus. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's actually quite different when it comes to the real world. I just have a curious question as you were discussing this because I think like one thing that I see about some of the partnerships roles that I hire for, a lot of the times the selection of the partners that you go through and having them to commit in that partnership to achieve some revenue goals along with you like seems to be quite important, at least in my world for product uh, software companies. But I'm just curious, like for your side, um, is that similar as well? Getting the selection right and then getting them to commit to certain revenue targets as well? I think a successful partnership is always a win-win. For us, uh, when you go out, you always try to work with partners that you want to work with. So you've already narrowed your scope. And then mm -hmm. the next step is trying to broker something that works for both sides. Everybody has something that they want to get out of it. Um, you know, it could be the price, so it could be revenue, uh, volume commitments, commercial terms. It could be something else that you can give. And I think the beauty of partnerships that's different from sales is that it is not one-dimensional. You have many tools to play with. So I always find it very interesting, you know, that you can be creative, you can try to think out of the box to make something work. I think that's definitely a fair point. In a way, the scalability of partnerships, I feel like it's quite beautiful, you know, in terms of on its own, right? Because imagine the revenue, and I, I hope you're not getting too much into the weeds about this, but let's say if you have a sales force and you only have so many reps, right? And then even if they are carrying a, a huge target, you know, annually, there is no way you can scale that. Unlike a partnerships where if you get momentum and you build and you have this other person on board, it's basically getting somebody else's engine kind of working together with you. Of course, you might not be able to hold hold them as accountable as your own sales rep. So you might need, you know, still the both of them. But the way that a company can scale, I think without partnerships would be very, very difficult. And then perhaps in, in especially this kind of like fintech or um, broader, you know, kind of tech company sales. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Fire effect. Yes. So I guess looking at, you know, all these jumps, I know I wanted to talk a little bit more about, you know, being a leader in the organization at this stage of your career as well. That's another different leap. But I'm just curious if you had any advice to somebody who maybe has listened all the way up to this point and then is thinking, okay, great, you know, Kali has absolutely sold me on partnerships, right? This is something that I really want to do. Uh, it sounds so exciting. Uh, you can be creative, you can be strategic. If somebody hasn't done this necessarily before, what would be your advice if you were to do it all over again for yourself, right? Moving into this uh, new field, would your advice be to have them to start off somewhere at EDB or, you know, it's not <laughs> necessary? <laughs> so I 
um, for me now, my hiring philosophy, like the people that I like mm. to to the team are people who maybe also because of my own experience, I don't really look out for directly relevant um, experience. So they don't have to come oh, with partnerships because it's very niche. Uh, mm. But I like people with a, quite a good mix of big corporate experience and startup experience. I think mm. the corporate experience is still very valid and useful because it trains people to be professional. Um, <laughs> yes. This is something that I actually really, really value. Like, you know, we talk about communication skills right at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. being write well, to um, speak well, to really communicate what it is that you want with the partner and how to get things done in a concise manner. It's a very important skill to have in partnerships. Um, Mm -hmm. The other part is the scrappiness of it, that usually you'll be able to pick that up in a startup environment to, um, you know, to take, not not take no for an answer, don't let structure uh, or process stop you from getting what you want. Um, I think a good mix of that, I feel, is actually perfect a very good recipe for a successful partnerships manager. Mm, That's a great tip in terms of bringing both parts of the spectrum and combining it for this role. I think that's great advice for people who could be doing something totally different, I suppose. But, you know, in terms of bringing it all together and then being able to demonstrate that, I think that's really helpful to like keep that in mind. I don't know about other people, but I just feel, yes, especially to the first part, maybe across all roles that I'm looking for, <laughs> just being able to communicate what your value is and, you know, uh, doing that in a professional way, um, yet in a way that's engaging, is actually not a very easy quality to find. Oftentimes, we take that for yes. granted. If you're working for so long, of course, you know how to write an email, but of course, you will know how to pick up the phone and go meet with somebody. But yeah. I think there is really a vast difference when you see someone who is professional and good at communicating versus someone who is maybe not so. Yeah. I was just having a chat with another guest and they were saying there's no way to shortcut some of these things, right? You actually have to go through and experience it and get trained, train yourself on the job for you to be able to have these kind of skills that you can actually um, uh, transfer into the next role. So yeah. now that you have been hiring your own team and you know that you really know what you're looking out for for these kind of different uh, traits and competencies, what do you think in terms of your leadership leap right into uh, team management or one of the key leaders in your current company um, what has that been like for you in terms of that journey and you know what would you say uh, some of the key learning moments or experiences that you've had mm, so I, I, I think I'm very lucky at Airwall has given me a lot of um, opportunities to grow uh, so mm-hmm. I've been the company for four and a half years now uh, and I've had a couple of promotions since and my portfolio has congrats thank you yeah. <laughs> very grateful to my bosses. <laughs> but I, I think what I have learned is that, first of all, it's really about when you join a startup, a company like Airwallex, it's really about what you personally make of it. Um, mm-hmm. Unlike, say, coming from a big company where your growth is planned out for you, you know, you have training at this point, you will have a promotion at that point. Here, it's really about what you want to do and how you make that happen. And mm-hmm. Airwallex is we have seen that people who succeed in this company, they take many different paths. You know, for them, it could be about rotation to another department that they've never done before. Uh, it could be about doing things that was, it's outside of their JD, but they feel that, okay, this is a part that's missing that people, there's no team that is picking this up and therefore they want to step into that. Um, or they feel that, okay, this is something that is not immediately uh, uh, prioritized, but they could see the long-term benefits of that and that they want to invest in it. Or, you know, they feel that, okay, maybe the leaders are looking at things or overseeing certain things, and therefore this is something that we should be focusing on. 
I think anything is possible if you try to find that for yourself. So my advice is always, you know, for new people joining the team, it's very difficult for me to tell them, okay, you know, in two years you're going to be doing this, in, in four years you're going to be doing that. I always tell yeah. them, use this opportunity to find out what it is that you like to do or what you enjoy doing. Mm. And go down that path and find a way to succeed. Yeah, I yeah, thanks for sharing that. Before I was doing talent acquisition, I was doing the talent management, so it was internal. So these are the people in your talent pool. They will say things like, oh, you know, I don't really have a clear idea and my manager can't really provide that level of guidance. So in a way, it's also kind of my takeaway from that was some people just need a higher level of certainty in terms of how they want to move forward in their career. They're not very much comfortable being in that driver's seat to just go where the need is, like what you've described, or just figure out, like, let's try this out since that maybe it might be more aligned with your interest and passion. So at the selection stage, how do you kind of maybe assess what it is? Because that would not be something you can develop, is my guess. Yeah. Mm, that's a very good question. I think um, a lot of it maybe is also timing and luck. I go back to, I do think that I have been quite lucky um, at mm. Aerobics. I was uh, one of the very early members of the partnerships team. Um, mm -hmm. So when I joined, I was actually in strategic partnerships. And then I realized that actually financial partnerships is something that we need to focus on building a team just around building our relationship with the infrastructure players in the financial uh, ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and then we started from there. So our team expanded from focusing on banking relationships to expanding to scheme the networks like Visa, MasterCard, to mm -hmm. directly with wallets. Um, you know, there's a lot of them here in Southeast Asia, especially. And... Along the way, AirWallex also grew. So our product focus also went from focusing very much on you know, banking capabilities to expanding to cards, to expanding to wallets. So along the way, we're growing with the company. Everybody is trying to figure things out. And I think it's, I was very lucky that in my current role, I was given the opportunity to grow and learn on the job. So instead mm -hmm. of just constantly bringing other people in, people who've been there, done that, the people who are already in the company were also trying to figure out things together. Mm. Uh, so that, that allowed me to identify things that I feel like, okay, we need to, to do this. We, you know, no one is working on that. I think it's maybe it's also not that easy now for, I guess, my it's team. A different stage now. <laughs> it's, it's a different stage now, for sure. Yeah. So it's not that easy now. But Airworks is still in a very fast-growing mode. We'll continue mm. to be growing. We'll continue to be building new features, new products, new markets. There, there continues to be things that we're trying to figure out along the way. So mm -hmm. I think the, the people who join us as the builders and the people who are problem solvers with that right mentality and the right aspirations, I think they can still try to figure out something that works for them. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that. As you are growing along with the company as well, how do you feel your kind of um, your leadership style has grown and changed um, along with that? Is there uh, an evolution that you can see in terms of the way that you lead and manage your team? So I think for me, when I started out, I was only comfortable to be a manager that actually knows exactly what is going on. So like being, mm. um, you know, having been there, done that, and hiring people, training them up, and I know what they're doing, they can learn from me. But as a team grows and as a company grows, we're also bringing people that I'm learning from, that I actually don't know any better. Um, mm. They are the experts and I need to listen to them. And they can tell me, you know, whether we're doing it wrong or right or you know better way so that's also allowed forced me i think to adopt a different leadership style to 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 listen to learn from my team 
uh, not from the other way around. And also, I guess, to be more humble about this. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that I don't, I really don't know as much as my team and that Mm -hmm. I need to learn from them. Yeah, that's a pretty humble thing to already share. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure there is a lot of appreciation of a team members to actually have a manager or a leader that listens. Um, I'm sure they do appreciate that as we are coming at the end of this recording what do you think in terms of um, you know for yourself as a leader what are you hoping to see next in in terms of how perhaps you develop or as your team develops what would be maybe some priorities uh, for you that you see you know for the future Mm, so I think for me right now I have a pretty sizable team and I think in the Singapore office on an average tenure basis they're probably they've been around the longest um, across all the other teams in the Singapore office so that's something yeah. that I'm very proud of. Um, definitely, I hope that they will continue to grow in, at Airwallex. They don't have to follow my path, you know, to try their own path. But I think helping them to each individually find a path to grow at Airwallex is, is my next challenge. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Maybe this is something I'm just reflecting on as we have discussed. I feel like you don't come across to me as the type of person who um, thinks overthinks things too much, right? You kind of like okay, this is maybe what I want to do. I'm going to set out and I'm going to get it done. And then, you know, you're going to like take things and then and keep moving. And I feel like what I get the sense from you talking to you is um, you're always having that momentum kind of like moving forward, right? And that's something maybe tied up back to what you shared about is like, you know, if you want to create that impact, this momentum is actually necessary for you to kind of move forward. So I'm just curious, like, do you think that particular aspect about yourself, is that just your personal trait, you know, like how you are or is that something that you you know kind of develop and where I'm coming from on this is there are days that I know I feel like oh my goodness why did I start this podcast you know like it's like so much work you know I, I feel like yes it's something that I'm interested in but I'm just curious whether you have those like peaks and lulls as well and then how do you kind of like overcome that I guess I'm asking more for myself but yeah, I'm just <laughs> I, 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 have, I also have roller coaster of emotions especially in a startup world yeah. some days you wake up and you're like oh my god i just don't want to get out of bed but i think the highs are very high uh, mm-hmm. and the highs are kind of what keeps me going and i think the other thing is also because in a startup world the learnings are accelerated and the more you learn the more you know the more you realize you don't know or that oh, you know, wow. so you feel that's true like although it sounds like a cliche but that's really very true of based on what you're experiencing that is really very true and i feel like you know having been on this job for four and a half years and just being here and learning from everybody, I realized that all the I feel like I'm still constantly challenged. My my <laughs> understanding, my so-called knowledge is just constantly being challenged, challenged by my colleagues, um, the industry, you know, macroeconomic environment, everything. So, um, yeah, I feel like this that that's that's what kind of keeps me going on days when I don't want to get out of bed. Yeah, I can really sense the level of joy that you know you get out of it right your whole face is lights up even though it sounds very challenging but you're like okay i'm smiling as i'm saying this because like yes it's fun you know you kind of get that feeling so you know thanks for for spreading that you know kind of joy for the work that you do and the enthusiasm that you have right i think it's pretty infectious i'm just curious if there is any key takeaway that you have for somebody listening about all the different leaps that you've made in career um, as an individual contributor, as a leader in partnerships? Um, is there any main takeaway that you have that you want to leave the listeners with um, that, you know, is close to you in terms of what you keep in your heart? Right? Mm, I would say um, 
don't underestimate yourself. And the key to su succeed in partnerships and also maybe with people's own um, career conversations is just never to take no for an answer. Mm. Yes. Could be a no, but when you try again, it could be a maybe, and then you maybe still. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. And I love that how you are doing it in such a nice way, right? It's hard to say no so many times to somebody who's like asking so nicely. <laughs> I think that would not happen, but <laughs> you can add me like even if they say no, it's like K-Next person, right? <laughs> they eventually block. Like, no, no loss there at all. But uh, this has been so fun. Thank you so much, Charlie. And thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can, you know, kind of meet up in person soon someday and talk a little bit more uh, about what's going on in each other's lives. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye.